Well, during the Great Depression, nine ordinary young men from the University of Washington accomplished an extraordinary dream. They labored together in effort and accountability as an embryonic rowing team to take on much stronger rowing programs like Cal Berkeley and Harvard and Yale. And they won. In his magnificent book, The Boys in the Boat, which I highly recommend, Daniel James Brown describes what the boys' coach saw as they worked with and for each other. He heard them declare their dreams and confess their shortcomings. He learned to see hope where a boy thought there was no hope. He observed the fragility of confidence and the redemptive power of trust. Brown details the grueling training schedules, early mornings and late nights, the lack of money and the desire to quit. He examines the lives and the challenges of each of the young athletes and their years-long striving for victory. He tells what the coach discovered as nine friends fought for their dream. He came to understand how those almost mystical bonds of trust and affection, if nurtured correctly, might lift a crew above the ordinary sphere transport it to a place where nine boys somehow became one thing, a thing that could not quite be defined, a thing that was so in tune with the water and the earth and the sky above that as they rode, effort was replaced by ecstasy. It was a rare thing. It was a sacred thing. It was a thing devoutly to be hoped for. In 1936, those nine young men took their rowing shell, the Husky Clipper, to Hitler's Germany to take on the world in the Olympics. And they brought home the gold. You see, when we share dreams, it pushes us to excel. What I want to do today is to share a dream, or more precisely a vision, of what I see this church becoming in the hope that it will push all of us to excel in the task of building God's kingdom, which is the reason we're all gathered here. Besides the fact that this is the beginning of a new year, it's kind of a particularly good time to do so. And one reason for that is that 2017 was a kind of watershed moment or a turning point for our church. The one thing that I have rarely had to worry about over these last 10 years has been money. But going into last year, I was a bit nervous about our finances. We were losing our largest tithers, people who truly understood biblical generosity, and I had no idea how the expected shortfall would be made up. It was one of those times when all you can do is trust God's provision. I was still trusting God in July when our deficit exceeded $11,000 but I can't say it wasn't nerve-wracking to do so. Had we continued on that trajectory, then closing our doors in two to three years was very likely. It was at that point that I wrote an email to all of you and explained the situation. But I also decided it was again time to preach on biblically-based giving. And you responded to God's word. Because something wonderful happened. In August, our deficit dropped a modest $1,500. In September, 
it dropped a whopping $6,500. And that year end, I'm thrilled to say that we ended 2017 approximately $3,000 in the black. If this was a test, you all passed with flying colors. Another reason for reshaping and sharing vision is that 2018 is our 10th anniversary year. Now, I've mentioned this at other times, that that's a significant achievement for a church startup. 90% of them don't make it this far. And we're going to celebrate. And so I'm telling you right now, please reserve the evening of Monday, May the 7th. Our anniversary is actually May the 4th. But Monday evening, May the 7th, we're going to do something really special. So I'm just telling you now, put it on your calendar and don't let anything get in the way. We're going to have a party. Now, it's true that over the past 10 years, the vision for this church has shifted and changed. Several years ago, we solidified our mission and our values in something called the Harmony Vineyard Way, which you see on the wall here in front. I like to think of it really as the way we do church, sort of our guiding principles. Those haven't changed, and I don't expect they will because they still accurately reflect how we want to function as a church. And though we've had different vision statements over the years, I can't say that I was ever completely comfortable with any of them. And I generally was the one who wrote them. (laughs) But for some reason, I was never able to produce one that really resonated with me. Maybe because I didn't have a clear picture of what a vision should be. And because I never really got comfortable with the vision myself, it was difficult for me to share it and return to it over and over again as uh, a reminder of where we were going. So this time I approached the task of trying to lay out a vision for the church a little differently. I tried to look at it from two perspectives. First of all, what kind of a church did I want to pastor? And secondly, what kind of a church would I choose to attend? What I want to do now is share what I came up with, this vision statement. And then I want to talk through all of the different component pieces of it and explain exactly why they're all there. So for 2018, as we complete our 10th year as a church and begin our second decade, this is the vision that will guide us along the way. Harmony Vineyard Church is a dynamic, spirit-filled, multi-ethnic church numbering in the hundreds, impacting the town of Ashland and beyond through unconditional love, acts of service, and the full expression of every spiritual gift. Now I want to break this down a little bit and show you why all of that is there. First of all, it says Harmony Vineyard Church. The key word here is vineyard. It's one of the things that separates us from other churches, and that's what a good vision statement should do. It should explain why we're different than all of the other churches uh, that are around. And there are certain distinctives that a vineyard typically brings. It's generally very clear, accurate biblical teaching. There's contemporary worship in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. You'll see equipping the saints in areas such as discipleship, ministry, serving, giving, finances, family, etc. You'll find the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. You'll find an active small group ministry. 
You'll see an emphasis on physical healing and signs and wonders, just like in the book of Acts. There's ministry to the poor and to widows and orphans and those who are broken. There's a commitment to missions, church planting at home and world missions abroad. There's unity within the whole body of Christ. There'll be a relationship with other local churches and some form of evangelistic outreach. Now, this is not to say that other churches don't have some of these things. It's just that there is an expectation that you, when, that when you go to a vineyard church, you're going to find most, if not all, of these things in place. So we are and will be a vineyard. Next is dynamic. Now, by definition, dynamic means characterized by constant change, activity, or progress. A church where there is no change, no activity, and no progress is a dead or dying church. A church, a dynamic church, feels alive. It feels like something's happening there. It's a place people want to come to, not one they attend out of some misplaced sense of religious duty or obligation. It's a place where Jesus is worshipped passionately. And I think we did that this morning. It's a place where the feeling you get there harkens back to the Greek root of the word dynamic, which is dunamis. And that's the word that's most frequently associated with the English word power that you find in Scripture. But there's a catch. Creating and sustaining a dynamic church is not the sole responsibility of the pastoral staff, nor is it the sole responsibility of the worship leader. Both play a role for sure. But if a church is to be dynamic, then it requires all of its members taking part, putting their time, their talent, and their resources to use. You're probably all familiar with the fact that Paul compares the body of Christ to a human body. And a human body is dynamic. The organs are constantly working, the skin, the nails, and the hair are constantly changing and growing. Blood is constantly circulating. It should be the same for a church body. If a church is to be dynamic, it's achievable only through a group effort. Every part doing their part. Next we find spirit-filled. And at the heart of this term stands the conviction that the full range of spiritual gifts in the New Testament is meant for the church today. It's another way our church will be distinctive from other churches. This belief challenges centuries of traditional teaching that certain supernatural gifts, such as prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues, were only for first-generation Christians. Historically now, these gifts did wane in the third and fourth centuries. And in order to explain their decline, it was taught that these so-called supernatural or extraordinary gifts were needed only during the first century until the church was established and the New Testament was completed. Harmony Vineyard Church challenges that teaching by maintaining that not only did those gifts continue into following centuries, but nowhere does the New Testament teach that they would be withdrawn. The Apostle Paul makes no distinction between natural and supernatural gifts. And so prophecy and service, 
healing and helping, tongues and administration stand side by side in his list of gifts without any labels. All are manifestations of the Holy Spirit needed by the church in every generation to inspire its worship and to give power to its mission. At Harmony, we believe the Lord is living and personal. And as we praise him, we expect the Holy Spirit to provide the gifts needed for that occasion. We focus on Jesus Christ, the head of the body, as we enjoy his presence and his power to strengthen us for our worship and witness and service. Next is multi-ethnic. Now most of you know this is a passion of mine, going all the way back to my attending Virginia Union University for my seminary education. And I also completed a doctorate on the subject. And after, <clears throat> and after reading countless books, articles, and journals on the subject and writing a 400-page paper, I remain just as firm in my conviction as ever that any church of Jesus Christ should contain a cross-section of the community in which it resides, and that the assembly featuring every nation, tribe, people, and language that's found in Revelation 7-9 is not and should not be limited to the end times church, but should be the model for every church going forward. And our vision states up front that it will be for ours. Following that is numbering in the hundreds. It is true that bigger is not always better, but I don't think that holds true for churches. So many good things happen as a church grows. The dynamic aspect is engaged because there is growth and change. Resources increase, allowing the church to do more than it could when it was smaller, and resources were being used mostly to cover fixed costs than they are for ministry and outreach. The number and type of small groups increases, offering people more choice than they ever had before. The addition of more people brings with it an even greater number of skills and abilities and giftings, all of which not only enhance the body, but magnify its ability to serve others in many different ways. And it brings new people into your own orbit. Who knows that maybe your newest best friend may be a person that you've not yet met. I understand that there is or there can be a fondness for the small church. I, I really get that. I truly do. But Jesus was pretty clear in his commission to make disciples of all nations. And if you obey that commission, your church is going to get bigger. You can't help it. And if you remain uncomfortable with the church in the hundreds... Just be thankful that I don't have enough faith to say numbering in the thousands. <laughs> Next is impacting Ashland and beyond. Now the important thing here is the word impacting. Of course, most of what we do is focused on Ashland because it's where we are. And we include the phase and beyond because that's what allows us to minister in deepest, darkest Mechanicsville and Beaver Dam. <laughs> Or on a more serious note, to participate in missionary work and disaster relief in some distant part of the world. But that's simply geography. 
It's one thing to be in Ashland. It's quite another to actually be impacting Ashland for the kingdom. And I think if I were to define impact, it would be this. Making a difference for the kingdom of God in some way. It could be through a healing service that we have here at the church. It could be giving someone a meal. It could be leading someone to accept Jesus. It could be answering a seeker's questions in a small group or over lunch. The desire to really make an impact provides us with a very easy way to evaluate new ministry ideas and to gauge the effectiveness of old ones. All we've got to do is ask, how does this ministry impact the community? If the answer is, it doesn't, then it's either time for a retool or possibly a funeral. And that's, I'm not kidding, there are times when you have to have funerals for ministries. Their time has ended, we put them to rest, and we move on and see what God has in store for us next. If you come to me with a great idea for a ministry, be prepared to answer the impact question. In my way of thinking, if we're bringing the kingdom to bear on any person or situation, then we're having an impact. Now the final part of this vision is how we will make an impact, and it contains three components. Mindset, method, and manifestation. First of all, through unconditional love. Unconditional love has got to be the mindset that we operate from. Unconditional love is the kingdom mindset. When we impact people out of unconditional love, it's as if we're touching them with the mind of Jesus. 1 John 4.19 says it the best. We love because he first loved us. And in the sense of specifically Christian love, we love the unworthy, which proceeds from the nature of the lover and not out of the worth of the loved one. God's love is the source. It's the initiator. People can't love this way on their own. It happens because he first loved them. Such otherworldly love then becomes the characteristic of God's people. They can love as he loves, and such love overflows to others who then experience God's love as well. If we're doing something, even something spiritual, out of obligation or duty or guilt, then we have the wrong mindset. Paul stated it very clearly in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves and to do so without conditions. And if you're truly able to adopt the mindset of unconditional love towards everyone, then you're going to automatically have an impact for the kingdom. The next is the method. Acts of service. When we impact people through acts of service, 
It's as if we're touching them with the heart of Jesus, who said he came not to be served, but to serve. And what I mean by acts of service is nothing more than sharing God's love by serving others in some practical way without asking for or expecting anything in return. The focus is on doing acts of kindness for anyone and everyone. A scripture reference for this could be Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. This could be something as simple as handing out free water bottles on a hot day or taking bags of treats to those who have to work on Christmas Eve. Simple acts of service reach people where they are and exposes non-Christians to Christians showing God's love in unmistakable and non-threatening ways. And as it says in Romans 2, verse 4, it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. Not everybody is comfortable walking into a church building, but receiving a free service with no strings attached is a little bit harder to resist. In fact, it usually piques the curiosity as to why someone would go out of his or her way to perform this act of kindness. This increases the potential to soften people's hearts and enable them to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Performing acts of service benefits those serving as well. Serving others gives Christians the opportunity to tell about God's love. When someone asks why they're doing what they're doing, those who are serving can just point to Jesus. Jesus commanded his disciples, and consequently every Christian that followed, to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus did not say, wait inside your church buildings for the lost to come to you. He said, go. Through acts of service, those of us inside the church can show the people who are outside the church that God cares and give them a reason to want to come inside. And finally, we have the full expression of every spiritual gift. This is the manifestation portion. This is where God becomes real to people. When we impact people by fully expressing our spiritual gifts, it's as if we're touching them with the very presence of Jesus. I have some spiritual gifts, but not all of them. John has some, but not all. Same for Mark. Same for Laney. Same for all of you. So the only way that we can achieve the full expression of every spiritual gift is if the entire church contributes to making this vision a reality. In this final portion of our vision statement, there is an implied responsibility. If we're to make this vision a reality, then it's incumbent on every person here to discover what gifts God has graced you with and then use those gifts to have an impact for the kingdom. If you're not sure what your gifts are, then just hold on to that thought for about a month because we have uh, one of the uh, natural church development teams 
um, who's been working on the gift-based ministry section, um, has a presentation that's coming up in about a month that uh, will help you answer that question. So that's what I see for this church. A dynamic, spirit-filled, multi-ethnic church numbering in the hundreds, impacting the town of Ashland and beyond through unconditional love, acts of service, and the full expression of spiritual gifts. See, I can say that from memory. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to send this out in, the, in an email now every Monday morning when I send out the uh, update. And I'm going to come in here next Sunday and I'm going to have a pocket full of $5 Starbucks cards. And if you can recite the vision statement from memory, I'll give you a card. But you have to do it right. It's got to be word for word. So practice up. It's not that hard. Now, one of the challenges that I have as a pastor is not just to cast a vision, but to find ways to get you all to engage with it. And as I was thinking about it this week, I believe the Holy Spirit dropped this strange little nugget in my lap. And suddenly I found myself trying to remember something that I had read a long time ago about a hotel chain and how it empowered its employees to make their guests experience the best that it could possibly be. And if you've taken any business classes probably in the last decade, you may be familiar uh, with the Ritz-Carlton because that's the hotel I was thinking about. Now, as part of their effort to make sure that every guest has an amazing experience, there it is, every Ritz-Carlton employee, from the CEO all the way down through the janitors and the, and the maids, are empowered to spend up to $2,000 per guest per day to fix or improve a guest's experience. So after reading that, I had a crazy thought. I wonder if something like that would work in the church. And then I had another crazy thought. Why don't you try it? So we're going to try it. I've come up with a new term, Ritz-Carlton evangelism. <laughs> and here's how it's going to work. If you are a member of the church, and that means you've gone through the membership class, and you are officially a member, then you can participate. All right? And so from this point forward, every member is empowered to spend $100 per week impacting a non-church member for the kingdom. You can take someone to lunch, talk to them about Jesus. You can buy someone coffee that's struggling and just needs a friend to share things with. You might be in line at the grocery and someone doesn't have enough money. You can pay up to 100 bucks. you can pay their grocery bill. You could buy somebody a book that they were uh, 
thinking about, you know, maybe that you shared you were reading a particular book, and they're like, gosh, I'd really like to read that. You can go out and buy it for them. Give it to them. The sky is the limit. The only qualifier is that it has to have an impact for the kingdom in some way. So all you have to do is if you spend the money, just make sure you get a receipt. You bring your receipt. I hope we drive Clyde crazy writing checks every Sunday. Because he will, will reimburse you for whatever it is that you spent. But I also want to hear a testimony of what happened. And if we can get this going, then I'm also going to drive Nick crazy filming testimonies so that we have things that we can show you as to how this is working. And my hope is that in doing this, it'll make, it's going to give all of you a, the mindset to start to look for ways to make a difference and remove money as any kind of an object. Now, you know, you could probably look at this and go, well, are you buying people's favor? And is that, you really want to buy people's entrance into the church? I just don't see it that way. I think we're at a time now where the standard methods for evangelism, we struggle with them. We struggle with finding ways to attract people, to get them even interested in the church. We have people out there, and I hear it from teachers, uh, even college professors, all the time. Their students have no idea who Jesus is. That is just inconceivable to me, to even think how I could have gotten to that age and not, I mean, I just don't understand it. I mean, I guess I do in some sense. But that's what we're faced with. And I mean, clearly, what I hope will have the biggest impact ultimately falls in this area of use of our spiritual gifts. Because that's what makes it real for people. That's where you actually show them Jesus. But if it takes buying them lunch or buying them a book or buying them whatever to get the opportunity to get to that point... then so be it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you. If you just make it a point every morning to say, Holy Spirit, show me some way to make an impact for the kingdom today. And just let that be your prayer. And then pay attention and see what happens. I think you'll be surprised at how many opportunities you actually will come across if you pray that prayer. And they've probably been opportunities that have been there all along. It's just that the Spirit's going to heighten your sensitivity to be able to see that. And I hope, I mean, my hope would be we get to a point where we have to stop this because it's costing us too much. I don't have enough faith to tell you $2,000. <laughs> but let's try this. Just see what happens. Amen? All right, let's pray.
Father, you remain unchanged. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your love for mankind has never wavered. Your grace has remained consistent and constant. And yet more and more people in this day and age feel like they just don't need you at all, if they even know who you are. Father, we want to be a place that can change that. We want to be a place that will make a difference. That will truly impact the kingdom for you. Because at some point, we're going to have to ask that question of ourselves. Are we making an impact for the kingdom? And if the answer is no, then maybe it's not a ministry that needs to be shut down. Maybe it's this church. Because what is the point if we are not influencing other people, if we're not being light in a dark world, if we're not being the salt that flavors an otherwise bland existence. Father, pour into us the love that you have, that we might be so full of it that we have no choice but to give it away to others. We find ourselves just overflowing with that love that has no explanation, has no conditions, that simply loves regardless of the other person and what they've done or haven't done or who they are. So Father, I just pray now that you would help all of us to take seriously this idea, this vision, be this dynamic place filled with your spirit to be a place that's making an impact in our community by serving and by fully expressing the gifts that you've given us Father as we seek those out reveal them to us Lord, I just pray your blessing now upon everyone who's here. I thank you for their presence. I thank you for their support. I thank you for all of the gifts that you've given them that many of them willingly employ. But Lord, there is more. And so Father, help us to turn our view outside. On Sundays, we love each other because we come together as a body. But the rest of the week, Lord, focus our attention on loving those outside these walls. 
Help us to truly impact the lives of others in such a way that they have no choice but to acknowledge your existence and your love for them. Bless all of these, your people. Give you thanks and praise, Lord God. And ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.